Hello, LinkedIn. Hello to all our podcast listeners. Welcome to another episode uh, of the Tribal Impact LinkedIn Lives. Um, and I'm very pleased to be joined today by Emmanuel Delvo. And I'll let you introduce yourself, Emmanuel. And then I'm going to share a little story um, about how we first met um, and some other things as well. So, uh, so yeah, welcome, Emmanuel. Do you want to give us a bit of an overview? Yes, thank you very much, Sarah, and uh, very pleased to be part of your of your uh, live and to your podcast. It's uh, nice to be with friends uh, around, so really appreciate it. And uh, in terms of my presentation, I was looking at you know how many years I've been working, and I've been using you know twenty plus, twenty five, and I have to say about thirty years, thirty years in different industries and in different roles. So from um, creating your product, so engineering, to marketing it, to selling it, to running operations. But I would say half of my career has been really uh, into marketing and sales. And social selling has become a thing for me, I would say, back you know, almost 10 years ago, when I really got into it and really understood the power of it and how surprising it was compared to normal and traditional sales. So very excited to be able to share my experience over the years on how this uh, selling method, if you want, is uh, impacting everyone today. That's right. And the title of today's episode is The Future of Sales is Social. Are you ready? And um, anyone who's watching live, please just shout out in the comments. I know there's a bit of a delay, but I will get to them. If you've got any questions for Emmanuel or if you want to just put some ideas forward, sometimes people start talking amongst themselves and that's fine too. Um, but yeah, this is going to be an interesting, an interesting conversation because well, I met you, I think, Emmanuel. I was trying to work this out. When did we first meet? It must have been about seven years ago, I think. Yeah. Actually, let me look at this. You see, the thing is, Emmanuel was my first ever customer. And I have, you can't see it if you're listening on the podcast, but I have my first ever invoice sat next to me on my desk. And it's got your name on it, Emmanuel, because you used to work for Schlumberger, right? That is correct, yep. Yeah. So, um, and I also remember meeting you for the first time because I remember walking up, it was Green Park, I think your office was in, and I came upstairs and I remember going, coming into your office and you said, you sat there with like a, a load of paperwork and you said to me, I don't know if you remember this, but you said, I've done my research on you on LinkedIn. That's it. And I said, yeah, I've done my research on you too. And I think we knew then. Yeah. <laughs> that, that this was going to be a good working relationship because um, <laughs> you had my LinkedIn profile printed off. Do you remember? I do remember because that's, you know, it's, it's something which I still do today. And you know, whoever yeah. I'm going to speak on businesses, I'm going to be searching them on the, on the internet to see who they are simply because I would like to be able to know them better before the first discussions, which is always a bit of a um, very difficult moment when you don't know the people. Yeah, yeah. It was a, it was just a really telling moment because I just thought, yeah, this is where. And then we went on to do some projects together, didn't we? At um, Schlumberger, I always remember touring the Nordics with you, um, with your compliance chief, uh, and doing some training. So, so today we're going to talk a little bit about 
the future of sales is social, but I, you've got so much experience in lots of different roles in different industries, which I find most interesting. So, and you come from a traditional selling environment and, you know, for, for a company that likes in the oil and gas sector to then modernize the sales approach. I thought it was quite impressive. You know, what What got you to, I'm, I'm not even following the questions. I'm sorry, Ryan, in the background, but I'm curious, you know, what, what triggered your, you, you're in a very traditional industry and you suddenly thought, hold on a minute, we can modernize our sales approach in this industry. So what was it back then that made you think differently? So I think, you know, and, and, and I believe there should be a few of my ex-colleagues on, on the podcast or listening on live on LinkedIn. I don't know. I got to see who is there, but I, I believe some of them are there. And I think, yes, the oil and gas is a very traditional industry, but it has also the, the aspect of being very global. And when you mean global, which means that you're going to have decision makers, which are not really always located to where you are. And hence you know, as a famous social selling aspect, you know, how do you remain top of mind? How do you stay in contact with those people? And the other aspect is in, uh, which is another aspect, and you know, when you talk about your blog on, you know, how can social selling help in time of crisis? It's a very cost-effective way of staying in touch with people. Mm -hmm. And uh, it may be uh, sometimes what, what I refer to as a slow burn, which means that you don't know when it's going to attack or when it's going to work. But the number of business interaction I've had, whereby after a few months, I just go and ask the person, please, can we do business together? Because mm -hmm. the person stayed in touch. So I think that the driver for me was, first of all, when you are the leader in the industry, which uh, SLB is, the new name of, of the Exchange so SLB, uh, yep. where it's important to always stay uh, ahead of the game. And I think this was also my, my driver to say, how can we differentiate ourselves from our competitors? And first of all, how do we learn uh, how to behave onto, the, onto that uh, social aspect? And I think you and I, as you mentioned, you know, how do large organizations um, transition to more uh, social setting program was there was a lot of red tape to cover. Uh, and a lot of anguish, uh, you know, seven years ago, it's not the same as it is today. Uh, there was a lot of concern about you know, what people may say or may not say, what would be the reactions. Um, you know, we had to go to the legal, to contract, to human resources, to leadership. Um, and then there was also the, well, how, how will our employees engage or not engage, you know, how associate will work. Uh, some concern about the time spent, you know, the confusion between LinkedIn and Facebook, for example. Yeah. Different things. So there was a lot of educations to be done in order to be able to achieve that, that transition. And what makes me smile, and um, I was talking with one of our ex-colleagues who, um, who was very keen in, in helping us making the program successful, is when I see today, if you look onto the SLB uh, LinkedIn of many of the, um, of, the, of the employees, the amount of like and comments they get on their posts. Yeah. You know, sometimes I got a little, a little thing in my background that says, you know, we did something that did work. And it is- We it did is something special. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> it's amazing. It really is and quite pioneering for such a traditional industry. And what I love about that, 
Um, and I've seen this with other customers, actually, that typically come from manufacturing or, you know, traditional industries that are completely changing and getting there faster. The IT sector have always been at the forefront of this, but I am seeing a lot of industries that are, are, are accelerating to at least where the IT industry and beyond, which is really brilliant. Um, hello, Sandy. Ryan's having a dig there. Off the prep questions already. Great start. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, Chris, hello. Chris Dixon's here. So, Manuel, you know. Guy Fraser, Patrick Metzger. So, thank you very much for joining us. Pop your questions. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, feel free to join the conversation. I'll keep an eye on the chat. So, um so you talked a bit about what sort of motivated you. Um, how do you think it's evolving then? Because you've you've seen it over the last seven years evolve. I mean, the pandemic accelerated a lot of people into the digital space because we had no choice to. Um, but what are you noticing uh, evolving within the sales industry? I mean, in the sales industry, what we are seeing is, you know, it is still, I believe, um, uh, Something which which has many many, many different speeds. Uh, I wouldn't say that it is uh, used by every single organizations uh, at the level they could be using it. Mm -hmm. Clearly, uh, you still have some um, reluctance, and you still have a number of people would uh, would benefit from the support of tribal impact to to get their, oh. their organization sorted. Oh, thank you. I didn't pay for that, anyone. <laughs> But that's so fine. We'll take it. <laughs> Don't take it back. <laughs> but it is true. I mean, it, it's it's as you said. You know, I think it's important that uh, when you are want to launch a social selling program, it is not something you can just come up and say, "Let's go and do it." Uh, there is a lot of uh, thought to be done about it, and I think this is one of the big lessons that we had, and this is why we designed the program initially uh, in uh, in SLB when we started together to use different audiences, different countries. Uh, to see the differences between people and, and the regions and how they would interact or not with the platform. Mm -hmm. and, and, and in terms of what the genuity is all about, and I think this is what is very difficult to achieve, is that those messages are being put forward and you can feel it is coming from the heart and not with a business mind or simply relaying the message that is a corporate message. And everybody yeah. is so happy about it. So I think this is the, the there is in the industry you can see a number of the momentum coming up, but you can clearly see the one which are best in class because of I would say the level of engagement as you mentioned in terms of the employee advocacy mm. versus the others where it is just a few people or it is very corporate in how it is effectively being being announced. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because there is an HBR um, report about, I'm going to read it, 54% of millennials prefer to buy without sales rep involvement. Um, before I ask whether you agree with that trend, just based on what you've just said about looking at different regions and different cultures, how they react. I do remember, um, I don't think it was with you, I think it was a different customer, but in the Nordics, we got a lot, a few years ago, we got a lot of response. I know all my customers, I know all the relationships. Relationships. I don't need to go on here. But then there's a there's a generation of future buyers that are coming up that you don't know that will eventually displace that purchasing power. Um, how do you know who they are? And so, what do you think about that trend about millennials not wanting to buy face to face well, sales? I, I would answer first onto the previous one. Sellers know their customers. Mm. 
However, you know, if you, it is very well known now that any decision of any project requires six, seven people approvals minimum yeah. into a corporate yeah, world. Or in some cases, yeah. And I can assure you that um, in my experience so far, the sellers knew one or two of those people, mm -hmm. three. Yeah. But the other, they don't. And one of the interesting uh, study that we've done uh, when I was in, in SLB uh, was to look at who is looking at our content and what are, why are they sending us requests? And what we found out is that when we send those leads to the sales team, the sales team say, oh, yeah, but don't worry, I, I know about it. It's already so-and-so who is looking at it. So that was a bit surprising and we went a bit more investigations about why. Mm. It turned out that in most of the cases, it was the procurement department who was doing their homework. Oh, wow. So the procurement department was not taking for granted, was being told or requested by the buyers or the users, but they were doing their own checks. <laughs> so, the, so the sooner you engage those into the sales process and get to know them. I have to say, though, you know, from just from speaking very personally the procurement teams that we work with they're so lovely actually no. in customers they're really friendly people um and they're very nice actually and we we yeah. do try to engage them earlier in the process because that can take time can't it so um yeah so Berenga's on as well Berenga Comian saying hi hello yeah. Emmanuel nice to see you again uh and Ryan shared that HBR report but yeah, yeah. to that segment then about the millennials prefer to buy without sales rep involvement. What so you now when you look about the millennial and I think the 54%, I think it's even a shy number to some extent. Okay. Uh, if you look at how people are interacting with each other today, uh, the younger generation will tend to be a lot more um, video chats, I would say potentially, or even yeah. or writing. But there is... Uh, a large percentage who don't want to be talked on the phone. No. Speaking of the phone, the phone lines, you know, the number of amount of hours which is being spent talking is just going down. People are on mm -hmm. the chat. Um, let alone, you want me to go and see somebody? Yeah. Oh. And <laughs> now, post-COVID, it's even worse because people are a bit more tucked away in their own respective homes and it's now becoming a real effort to go out and meet someone. So mm -hmm. a lot of times people are asking for just an internet exchange, and I'm getting, it's interesting, I'm getting very often um, phone call exchange, not even video call. So I have mm -hmm. to kind of force a request for a video call, and because I'm trying to break the cycle, I'm also going and asking for a physical meeting rather than an interaction. So there is an effort to be made. And I think the 54% of without sales interaction is something which I've always said to, to my teams was stop about, you know, especially when you're talking about B2B um, and B2C is more straightforward, it's more and more intuitive, but into the B2B, you know, how do you buy? You go online, you make your research, and once you have kind of decided which product you like most, then you're going to go and try to understand what's the difference between the two products. And you're going to go with your guts about who you feel more related to as a person mm -hmm. or who has the most star review on Google yeah. or Amazon. You rely on the others' feedback. 
to be able to make your your own, your own judgment. And again, when you go into your final buying decision, you know, it's people will say for me that the tendering process is always what I call them. Um, it's a formal exercise that needs to be done from an accounting perspective and for regulatory purposes. But very, when you are buying and you are the buyer of whatever uh, product that you want to go and buy, before you go into the shop or shops, um, you already kind of know which one you want to buy. And when you go into the product uh, or the service, and you're going to find out that this is not the one that you had kind of picked internally. You're going to find every single excuse to lower down all the good values. Yeah. And, 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 and upper up all the little things that you wanted to know. So you, you, you are tweaking, you are lying to yourself to buy the product <laughs> that intuitively you want to buy in the first place. Yeah. And you buy that product because you liked it. Mm. And you liked it because all the social, all the advertisement have made you like that product versus another one. If you yeah. look at today's offering, it's very, very difficult to find a difference between products. Everything yeah. is kind of very normalized. I've been looking to buy a new car. Okay. I went to all the French vendors. And at the end, I was a bit surprised because the price difference is within 3%. Mm -hmm. And... The only things I'm left as a differentiator is when can I have a car? Yeah. Because the whole so it's down to availability. So it's an attachment to the brand, potentially, but you know, it's more when can I get the car? And that is where there is a bit of a difference still, but it's it's becoming very difficult when you want to to buy uh, these days. So I think the the importance of planting the seed early into social selling is very, very important. I think that's also underestimated, I think, is the there's a whole lot more work that needs to be done to put yourself into the buyer's mindset earlier on, becoming a trusted advisor. These are all the techniques that we talk about in social selling, you know, not sharing content that the buyer can relate to that helps them to understand their problem in more detail don't no not sharing content just come to our webinar come to our event but there was a point that you made there earlier actually emmanuel about events and meeting people which i think is quite interesting um you know you can't just drop by the office anymore to meet people or stop by for a quick coffee because people don't go in the office every day now they might go in on a tuesday one week a friday another week you know we're like ships that pass in the dark as we say so there's not you know, there's not any um, continuity. You can't just drop in on people. It just makes it so hard. Um, Jerry's here as well. Jerry Karinsky. Hello, Jerry. Welcome. Thank you yeah, for joining you know, us. I, I, you know, it's what, what I love as well about LinkedIn, and I've been doing the quite of your thinking, is when you look at, you know, who has looked at your post or whatever in that, I, uh, I don't have maybe a very large network compared to some others. I have about 7,000 people. Um, but I would say that for 90% of them, when I see the name, I can see exactly what we have been doing together and how we are connected. So yeah. in the US, I've got uh, Béranger who is in Senegal, a guy in the UK. You know, it's the whole world which is connected through that, uh, that fantastic platform. So uh, that's what I really also like uh, about the LinkedIn is how you can stay connected with people all over the world. 
And on that very important point, it was very interesting as well on how um, it's important to stay in touch with each other because if you remember, just a few months and a, a few months ago, you and I kind of disappeared. Yeah. We didn't see each other's post. <laughs> I know. You sent me a message going, where have you gone from my news feed? You're not exactly. there. I'm going to send you a message and see if I start seeing you again. And you did. And so we're no. talking. <laughs> and, 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 and I think this is, again, in terms of, you know, when we talk about the, the, the staying top of mind, the important to, continue, to have continuous interaction to make sure that you are also... Uh, you know, remaining top of mind because if you don't interact with the people and you just put your message out there, but you do not make an interaction yourself, at some point in time, you just become a, a voice in the desert and nobody's yeah. really listening to it. Yeah, No one's listening, only yourself. Um, so guys come up with a good question, actually. So thank you, Guy. Has any way been found of replacing the casual drop-in chat? So that, you know, that sort of oh, I'm just in London next week. Are you around? Do you want a quick, quick coffee? Can't do that anymore. So what's the replacement for that in social selling terms? Uh, well, what I have done uh, once and, uh, in, and it did work quite well is I went onto my LinkedIn uh, profile. I went, whoever is in Amsterdam, and I sent them a meeting request and say, I'm going to be in that bar on that day at this time. If you are happy, just join in. And I had a couple of people just popping up. You know, oh. so uh, an interaction. So it's, it's you know, it, I, I, I thought it was a pretty nice, um, nice way of doing things as well. You know, you just let people where you are. Um, you have also the aspect of um, people going to conferences, and there is a lot of people going to conferences. Mm -hmm. uh, conferences for me are a good place to 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 conduct business and interact and to reconnect with people. But you need to let them know that you're going to be there and where and when you can be available as well. Because some of them will see it, some of them will not see it. And if you just say, I'm going to be there at that event, you know, you're not standing at the booth or in the middle of the corridor uh, 20, for the three days of the events. So it makes it difficult. <laughs> Do you know, I've tried that technique as well. It's a, great, yeah. it's a great piece of advice. And I actually just put out there, I'm going to this event. Is anyone going? And I've booked meetings as a result of it. Yeah. It's incredible. The other way to do that as well, Guy, is to go, is to look who's talking about the event, both before, before you tend to find all the people that are paying to be there, like the vendors and the exhibitors. But after the event, that's where it don't, you know, forget about it because that's when all the delegates post had a great day here. And, you know, it's an opportunity to engage. So another one I've tried as well um, is just sort of pinging people and say, do you want a 15 minute chat? You know, we can just have a virtual coffee. Um, that can work as well. That can replace the, the, the casual drop in chat, but I love the, I'm coming to Amsterdam. Who's, who's up for, who's up for meeting. Great idea. Well Great idea. Nuria, hello. Thank you for joining. Nuria from Microsoft. Great topic. It is a great topic. Um, Emmanuel, I'm going to ask you another thing. I, there's so many things I want to ask and I haven't got enough time and we're already 25 minutes in. Um, right. The there's an economic downturn at the minute, which is pretty uh, obvious. You know, there's a lot of layoffs certainly happening in the IT sector, in other sectors. Um, you know, economically, it's it's tough and it's tricky, which means it's lengthening buying cycles. Um, but decision makers are moving on. Uh, it make, you know, you talked earlier about how many people you really know in the buying cycle. So, what what's the impact of that? How does social selling support times when it's there's an economic downturn? 
You know, I think it's it, the economic downturn, as you or as you mentioned, it also linked to uh, to projects which have uh, you know three three years time of you know between the time of the decision to the time of the uh, execution of the project. A number of things changes. Uh, the environment, uh, the, the people who are going to be running the project, and, and again, you know, when you are looking, when you are looking at those um, long cycles, or when you are looking into an environment which is uncertain, and as you say, people are just disappearing from the buying centers and being replaced by others. Um, the only way to stay uh, abreast is to make sure that you have your network and that you re- you always putting information which is relevant to that specific project at the specific time of the project, which means that when you are at the very early stage uh, of any project, when you are, when people are looking for, I would say, conceptual ideas, Mm. then you need to be able to show the different portfolios or the option that you have and ensuring that your posts are relevant, but also kind of, you know, you know who you are kind of targeting in, in, in whatever you're doing. And the other aspect is that you don't do that alone either because you have your network and you need to make sure that you are working with the team. So the idea would be that when you are developing your um, strategy to win a specific account, uh, you know, you have the the famous ABM, your account-based marketing, where you need to make sure that you are working together with the rest of the team from the, that your bidding team that you have put together each one of them re-emphasizing or targeting a specific um, part of the company at the beginning, because you may not know who is part of the business, but you need to really make a a, a real effort. And I think this is where this is not yet uh, at the level where I think it could be leveraged for a number of organizations. Uh, It is much more of a solo type of approach um, also, it's starting to get interesting when you know people have brainstorming, and again, uh, that's what of the, the what guy is, has been working on and, and supporting uh, supporting us in different occasions to really ensure that people look at the network of each other's and connect the dots and say who knows whom, and therefore once you have that mapping of the, your network knowledge together then your posts can become a bit more relevant or you can you can target them a bit more. And just, you know, also, as you mentioned, having those regular uh, chat on interaction, you know, your five minutes coffee morning remains a very good, you know, very good things. Happy birthday. Oh, you, you change new posts. Congratulations and everything. Yeah. And again, I think, you know, just to get an, another example, uh, the largest... Uh, dealer, I think, that we have uh, recently signed, that uh, Herman Miller has signed uh, in France, the connection was made through my announcement of my position at the time as a, as a VP of Herman Miller, noticed, picked up, connections, I would like to become, can we talk? And it did work. Wow. So great business for both organizations to, uh, through a LinkedIn engagement. And I can, and, and um, Mr. Franck Argentin is not uh, a young person like me, you know. <laughs> so we were very much, uh, it's not a 20 year old, two 20 year old talking together. It's two very senior people talking, making business over social network. Yeah. So I think it's again something, a, a kudos to the power of that, uh, that platform and the way of, uh, of discussing and 
one of the characteristics, as you mentioned, about social selling, which was extremely surprising to me at first, and I think this is, again, something which is super important when you are engaging on social selling, is no one has ever sold me anything. They always share with me content, invite me to look at things, discuss things, and then, in fact, it has always been me, the buyer, who is asking the seller, okay, can we talk now? <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, and I think that's really interesting because I was going to ask you about mistakes. Oh, there's so many things. I've got another thing that I need to ask you about. Um, mistakes people make. On that point, no one tries to sell to you. The, the whole point of LinkedIn and social selling is about building relationships. Yeah. And when people are ready, they'll reach out to you. And when they reach out to you, it moves fast. It moves quick. They've done their research. They've decided who they want to work with. They might have to tick the boxes and say, look, we've done our and things like that. But ultimately, they've, they've kind of decided. Um, and I think one of the first mistakes I'm going to put out there is that people try and pitch product on on social. That's yeah. not what it's about. It's about getting the engagement and the conversation. Have you seen any other mistakes at all? Well, I'm sure that you know we all have seen those mistakes where people get the wrong company or the the wrong positions, and they just send you very very generic. And those ones are, yeah. you know, the um, they don't get much attention if you want uh, clearly. Uh, that, that's a bit of a, a bit of a challenge. Um, the uh, I, I think this yeah for me that was I don't I don't, I don't have any one I can I can, I can pick up on the top of my head as such. Uh, but I think it's it's always about even if you are relaying uh, the message of your uh, management, what you may are missing is why is it why are you doing it. You know, in the little note about, you know, reshare or whatever. I think it's important because it does show why you are tuned in, why you are, uh, you know, because it showed about you. It's never about the company. I mean, social selling and your LinkedIn post is never about who you work for. It's about who you are. That's yeah. your brand. That's what, you, that's what you're putting together. And I think it's, it's, it's so, so important to, to protect and cherish and hence on how you have to be, careful on the topics that you want to cover uh, because it's you know it's not instagram it's not tiktok it's, uh, it's a different platform. No. Yeah. it's hard though isn't it because a lot of people don't really want to put that personal viewpoint out there and you know this is me this is who i am it can be quite tricky i do have another mistake and it's it may be um you know, get Guy, you might find this interesting. Guy said, thanks both. I've run a few events before and after the most of the work. Absolutely right. Mm. Um, on the ABM thing you touched on a little bit earlier, where I've seen, you know, they've done a great job of building an ABM campaign into, an, into a company, but you touched on it and you said, how are you going to land that in that target company? Yeah. And, and the answers I sometimes get are, oh, well, we've hired a telemarketing agency or we're going to blast some emails in or we're going to get somebody just pumping out in-mails on SalesNav. And I'm like, mm, how well are you already connected into that company? Surely someone yeah. through Tim, Team Link or your network already knows people in there. Have you not? That, that There's the gap. There's a bit of a yeah. mistake there, I think, with ABM. It kind of stops at marketing and forgets to engage sales in the process, I think. Yeah, so. and, and I think it is super important. There is another example relating to that that I will I will anonymize as much as I can. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, do I have to say beep? <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
in a cost in in a, in a, in a, in the uh, effort of cost reductions, um, decision was taken to subcontract through an agency uh, some interaction on the marketing side with uh, key uh, decision makers. I mean, you're talking about you know magazines and and journalists. Uh, that particular journal was the key target for us. Mm. And the agency, who didn't have the knowledge that we have and didn't know the person who we were talking to, for, mm. for them it was just another address into another email, mm. sent them a message with, unfortunately, an error that they did not ask or bother for us to check or review before they sent out the message, but they were an error. The feedback was direct from the person who received the email to us and say, if you are interesting, if you if, if this is how you are wasting my time, I don't have anything to do with you. So, as you said, it's very important to ensure that, you know, distribution lists are not lists of names, especially when there are relations. And who is going to pass on the message is as much important as what is the message that you're going to pass. Yeah, yeah. And that is the mistake. I think that's where yeah. it goes wrong. Right. I'm going to ask you another. I'm only about halfway through all my questions here. But I really <laughs> want to ask you in some senior sales leadership, sales and marketing leadership roles. You've been in very senior roles. Um, and I'm kind of interested to understand that perspective of social selling. Um, Nikki Wallace says hi, by the way. She's on as well. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, a good, a good friend, yeah. <laughs> it's always like your network, isn't it? You're working with this. <laughs> so and so. Um, but yeah, for, from a leadership perspective, because I, I speak to a lot of people that are trying to sell this into leadership and convince leadership that these, this needs investment. You've been in that role. Um, and I'm kind of interested, one, how you convinced maybe peers that this was an important investment, you know, and what maybe how you convinced other C-suite members, uh, but also how you ingrain this into the culture of your sales team. How do you convince the sales teams to do it? I know this was not on the list. Sorry, Emmanuel, put your No, it's actually not the question on the list. I mean, I, I don't need a list to answer the questions. <laughs> but I, I, you know, I think it's it goes back to what we know. If I go back to you know how it worked out or did not work out, and I think you know you learn from both your your, your success and, and your mistakes. Um, the, the primary aspect is um, you don't want to be boiling the ocean, and I think this is what is is super important. Is starting with the pilot and starting with, you know, as we discussed seven years ago, with the people who are the believers. And um, then there is the, uh, I always liked, you know, there was a small talk from, uh, I'm going to butcher his name, Gary Whitaker. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. And he said, I don't waste my time trying to convince people. And I think this is some of the aspect of, on the social selling. If you try to really convince people, you're just going to be wasting a lot of energy and you're not going to go very, very far because you have that blockage. However, if you can demonstrate successes, then you can start to be able to build something. And then it's more like by cooptations. And then at some point in time, it becomes so important that people are going to take it over from you and then kind of going to run with it. And then that the success is being achieved. So I think this is a, the, the, the primary aspect. And then when you come to the sellers, 
It's always about uh, demonstrating uh, the value that it brings. It's a bit like, you know, when, you know, and for relating to, to Nikki and, and, you know, the CRM system, the Salesforce, or any other uh, CRM system, Microsoft or whoever, whichever, sorry for the person from Microsoft. Um, the, uh, the, the main aspect is I always consider that, you know, you're asking the people to put something into the system. And I look at it as, it has to be looked at like if it was a bank. You put your money in, which is your information. What you want is to get your money back with interest. Mm-hmm. And the interest is the other information that the other people are putting and allowing you for your project to connect the dot. Which project has been won? Who has been in touch with what? And therefore, you are able to connect. And it is in, in the social selling program, it is super important that you feel that the time brings value back to you and you need yeah. to be able to focus on what has been achieved. So we talk about, you know, some of the ROI, how many meetings have we, have we been engaged? How many contacts have we done? Uh, so that you can share that information, the little nuggets with the other to say, oh, this is a value. Mm. You know, again, you know, social selling, I would say, we have, you know, partnered with one of the largest dealers and you know, distributors uh, in France through social selling. Some of mm-hmm. the biggest uh, deal that uh, I was able to be involved with in, in the oil and gas were connected somehow to some of engagement on the social selling on finding out blind spot, which mm-hmm. we were able to spot early enough uh, because somebody else we didn't know uh, was, uh, was in, in the thwart. And again, so I think this is some of the aspects that need to be uh, to, to be considered. I'm going to dig a bit deeper on that, though, because, I mean, you said earlier that some things you do now will impact a conversation that you have in 18 months' time. And I think, you know, where sales leaders are looking at metrics of how many meetings have you booked, how many, because how many, um, we all know those sort of metrics trickle down to ultimately pipeline, it's just so different, though, isn't it? An engagement on a post might trigger a conversation. An in-mail asking for a conversation might trigger a conversation. Uh, uh, an event that you go to. Do you know what I mean? So do you track social selling's influence on pipeline? or Because no, it, it's not like I'm going to do this many calls and get this many meetings and this many. It, it doesn't work like that, does it? So how as a sales leader do you encourage your sales managers and teams to think differently about tracking? So, I mean, from a, from a very analytical standpoint of view, one of the things which I had put in place when I was in SLB uh, was to have an indicator, which was a simply tick box, um, which was uh, touched by social programs or social selling. So it was very yeah. much about every single salesperson to say that connection, that things or that event or whatever, it has something to do with something I've done online. So it's much more if you want um, a soft indicator or something that you self-report, but it was just to be able to show what was the momentum that we were getting uh, on that aspect. Because it's very difficult, you know, even if you go to a conference in the physical world and 18 months later, you are being contacted about a project because what you presented on that conference was relevant to somebody in that audience, but they were just at the very, very early stage. And then they contact you later on. You can't really track that as such into a matrix, especially nowadays where 
corporations are very much down from the year to the quarter and, yeah. and, and sometimes to the month. And, and social selling, again, for me, remains what I said. It's a slow burn. It is something yeah. which is going to drive in time. Uh, trust uh, and, and, and reputation is not built overnight. It's something that is built over time. And hence, it's the, the consistency that you have uh, into the, the other aspect. And, you know, for example, uh, the, my last post on LinkedIn on uh, International Women's Day, it's me who is talking about, and I was looking at it, and I was looking at that day because for me, that's a very important day for me. Yeah. And I, my initial thought was I'm going to kind of, you know, tag all the people that I know and I say, I can't, not too many. I'm going to miss yeah. out some of them. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, from, uh, from, from young starting engineers to CEOs uh, at all levels of organizations, I reflected on it and I say, that's good. But again, you no, know, that's a slow burn. I don't know who has, and, and surprisingly, that post effectively uh, reached out a bit more people than usual for, from, for, my, for my post because I guess it's uh, it's a topic which I, I care about, and then maybe that's what LinkedIn found out that was the case. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it aligned it to the algorithm, right? I'm gonna. I can't believe I could talk to you all day, Emmanuel. We ought to do these chats more yeah. often. Now you're appearing in my feed again. Um, <laughs> now we connected. Uh, what emerging trends do you see in social selling? I don't know if you've been following this whole chat GPT conversation, how you think that might impact it, but what, what emerging trends do you see over the future impacting I think, you know, I think you know, the, the chat GPT is very difficult not to be following it and not to be you know, kind of mesmerized and, and, and surprised and, and, and try to how we can effectively use it for, for, the, for the good. Um, and there is... It remains, if you want, something which can be very, very difficult to make it genuine on the long term. Uh, you can you can get away with it with a with a quick fix if you want, if you are in, in short of inspirations. But at the end of it, I think if you are using that uh, as your default uh, solutions, then you won't have the emotions, you won't have your good days and your bad days, and, and overall that's going to be transpiring through your uh, through your post. The one trend which I'm seeing now more and more is what you were, were talking about, you know, uh, employee advocacy. Yeah. And, and I think this is a, a couple of, uh, there is one, one very good example in the oil and gas, uh, which is what um, uh, Marcel Diaz and, and Jenny Elrold are doing with flipping the barrel. They are employees or in the oil and gas employee, but they have their own podcast. They have 9,000 followers. And they talk about, you know, different topic from uh, a different view on the oil and gas from a female perspective, sharing their own stories. And they're interviewing, you know, CEO engineers all across thought leaders. And that is reflecting onto their employer. Mm -hmm. So I think it is giving the liberty uh, of a number of, uh, you know, trusting, which is always a difficult part, trusting uh, and, and trust goes both ways uh, of um, more employee advocacy and, and letting people have their own voice, knowing that by them putting themselves out there will, in, in fact, uh, have a positive influence onto the brand, onto the sales, and people will want to um, interact with that particular brand.
Now you're talking my language, Emmanuel. This is it. <laughs> I love this. In fact, I don't know if Nuri is still on, but we were talking about this very topic a couple of weeks ago on a LinkedIn Live um, about the employee brands. Yeah. Speaking in many ways louder and touching more people on a human level than the company brand. Um, but it's, you know, brands, it's a bit like letting go and letting them create their own content. What a fabulous story um, that that's happening, that two employees have started a podcast, yeah. putting engineering at the heart of it and women in engineering. That what? Yeah, I'm going to look that up. Do you know what it's called? Sorry, what's it called again? Flipping the Barrel. Flipping the Barrel. Brilliant. Yeah. I'm going to check that out. Do you know, Emmanuel, it, honestly, it's so lovely to talk to you and to, you know, when we met all those years ago, from the for those that have just joined or just listening in, um, I met Emmanuel, who's my very first customer um, all those years ago. So when social selling was starting out. But do you know what I've loved about this is your, your attitude to learning and mistakes. And you say, you know, you just reflect on your career and how, you know, what you could have done better. And just that whole growth mindset, I think, is brilliant and essential for social selling because you've got to test things out. And if it doesn't work, you try something else. Right? Yeah. So, um constantly being agile but you also there's a few keywords that you said there trust reputation you can't build it overnight you have to build it over time um and that sits with me as well so i yeah, yeah. it's been an absolute pleasure as always emmanuel thank you very much for your time yeah. and thanks for, for everyone joining us for the question guide for the comments that you've had it's been it's been a real pleasure so uh, appreciate your time, Emmanuel. And thanks, everyone else. And thanks for listening. Um, next week, we might be changing it up a little bit. I, but the person doesn't know yet, so I'm not going to announce it. <laughs> so we'll just see. Uh, but watch this space. <laughs> so thank you very much. Bye for now. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Sam. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you found it insightful, it would be awesome if you could leave us a rating on the Apple podcast or if you could share the podcast with one of your friends or colleagues.